Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. I'm Pastor Ken with Faith Dialogue. Our our Wednesday messages are all part of a series that we call Pondering Prophecy. And we've had the opportunity to speak um, uh, regarding the scriptures uh, on many events and many many parts of prophecy uh, that are all related to the second coming of of Jesus Christ. You know, the return of Jesus is, is the most anticipated event in all of Christianity. During difficult times, believers uh, would be able to turn to the scriptures and they would read of the return of Jesus and they'd have the promises of God that would give them hope and uh, give them a future. Today, I, I want to speak a little bit about uh, a very important po- topic. It's, uh, it's one of the topics that comes up often when we start speak of prophecy and that's called America, the United States of America, in prophecy. Now one of the things that we want to clear up right at the very, very beginning is that uh, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus can actually return at any time for his bride, the, the body of Christ. And it can happen any time and this is called what's called the doctrine of eminence. eminence. Now eminence means that the Bible teaches that there's no prophetic event prior or required before Jesus can return, before Jesus snatches the church away from this earth. That's what's called the rapture, the rapture of the church. It's for this reason um, that while there are no uh, major prophetic events that have to happen before the rapture of the church, that doesn't mean that the church will not see certain signs as we uh, approach. Uh, that time of the coming of the Lord and the time of the tribulation. Uh, Perhaps the clearest example we have is uh, May 1948, the establishment of of Israel. Just as the prophets had prophesied, Israel was returned to the the promised land. And it never happened before. Who, Who would imagine that a country would be born in a day? We also see many of the nations that are spoken of in the prophecies about the return of Christ. Many of those nations are around today. We recognize the name. You know, recently we assembled the, the top t- 12 questions regarding Bible prophecy. And, and we've ad- as we've addressed the 12 very briefly, we now have a kind of a series within a series as we plan on, a, on addressing each one of these 12 topics uh, one at a time and spend more time on it. Um, over the you know, rather than spending two minutes on it, we're going to spend, you know, 25, 30, 35 minutes speaking on each one of these topics. Uh, The first question we looked at, without a doubt, is the number one question, as I mentioned, that is often asked at Bible prophecy conferences, or anytime your pastor is speaking on Bible prophecy, one of the questions that always comes up is, at least in this country, is where is America in Bible prophecy? So, I just mentioned that many of the nations that are, that are included in prophecy regarding the end times um, are in existence. And we can spot these nations because they have a, the same name or a similar name 
to what we knew before. So nations like Libya and Egypt and Israel and Persia, which is Iran, and Ethiopia are all mentioned in the Bible related to the end times. And we recognize those, those nations because those nations exist today. Maybe a slightly different geographical territory, but we recognize the nations. Um, the Bible was, was, was written um, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. And, and we wonder where would America fit in? So often people will look at, look for America and maybe symbolically, maybe because there's, it speaks of an eagle and our national emblem is an eagle or a mighty nation. Um, people will look symbolically for America. And, and I, it's understandable. America, uh, understandably, is the world's unique preeminent superpower. And that's both commercially as well as militarily or economically. The U.S., for example, has approximately 331 million people. Uh, that's 5% of the population of the world. However, economically, the U.S. produces more than almost a quarter of the total world, the world's goods and services. So let's pause there just for a moment and, and kind of uh, wonder why, why that would be. Uh, because the, the U.S. has been blessed. This, this country has been blessed since its founding. And it, it's amazing to see uh, this country of America and how much it's been able to accomplish. So before we go looking for, for the United States in the Bible prophecy, we ask our question, why has the United States, States been so, so favored, so blessed, so fortunate, and so successful? You know, going back to 1776, the 13 colonies declared their independence from the, at that time, the world's greatest political and economic power, um, the country of England or the, the British Empire. It was only one year prior in 1776 that the Continental Congress even authorized a military force, a standing army. Uh, Congress authorized the establishment of what was called the Continental Army. Typically, the colonies had, had relied on, on local militia uh, to put down Indian uprisings as well as enemy armed forces. You know, it's estimated that at the time of the Revolutionary War, the, there were 50,000 British soldiers that fought in the Revolutionary War. And that was supplemented by another 30,000 German soldiers which were called Hessens. They were provided by the various German states in Europe. However, <laughs> the highest strength that the Continental Army had uh, was in 1978, and historians tell us there were 35 soldiers. However, General Washington never commanded more than 17,000 troops at any given time, and that was regular and militia combined at any one time. You know, the British Army at that time was considered the most powerful and experienced armies in the world. During the previous 100 years, the 100 years prior to the Revolutionary War, the British Army had defeated many powerful countries. Uh, such as France and Spain, and they seemed almost uh, unbeatable. So the odds when we started the Revolutionary War were, were not good. And this has been one of the greatest and most glaring mysteries of all military history. How did the 13 colonies that at the start of the war had no navy or no really no army win their independence from the greatest military power on earth? And there's only one great answer to that question, only one acceptable answer, and that is the, the favor 
of Almighty God. You know, most people would acknowledge that we can trace our history, our, our, this people in the United States can trace our heritage in the United States to the people we know as the, as the pilgrims. In 1620, a group of very courageous and very fervent Christian segregationists set, set sail on the Mayflower from Plymouth, England to the New World with the purpose of establishing a, a colony where they could freely practice their religious beliefs without government interference. We call these people pilgrims. However, those people never refer to themselves as pilgrims. Do you know what they, what they refer to themselves as? They were called saints. Uh, the Bible refers to, to holy people of God as, as saints. This word pilgrim actually comes from the Bible. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, it speaks to the numerous saints of God uh, that had died. Verse 13 says, and all these people, all of these saints of God, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar, and they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and Pilgrims, there's where we get that word. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a, a homeland. And truly, if they'd been called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have ha had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God that he has prepared a, a city for them. So this was the motivation of these, these people that we call pilgrims. They were, they were on a journey. They wanted to be able to honor God. They wanted to be able to worship God freely. And it's from these very humble beginnings through the foundations of this country and the framing of our constitution, this country, the United States of America, has been blessed by God. And there's a reason for that. All of our early founding documents, all of them, refer to the goodness of God and their common religious heritage. From the Mayflower Compact to the Declaration of Independence to the various state constitutions of the original 13 colonies, it's obvious that the people of these United States were a religious people, a people that, that feared God and tried to live according to the to the precepts of the Bible. While American cannot be truly compared to, to Israel, there are scriptures that speak to the blessings of God that accompany God's people living in obedience. Deuteronomy chapter 28 says this, it says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and, you, and, and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord. And then God speaks specifically to the blessings. It says the increase of your produce, your cattle, your livestock, your food baskets, and your kneading bowls. Verse 7 says, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you, and they shall come out against you one way, but flee from you seven different ways. You know, however, in this same chapter, the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, also describes what happens when the people disobey, when they turn their back on God. It says the cities and the countries will be cursed. 
It says the Lord will send confusion and a rebuke. Verse 21 of that chapter says the Lord will make the plague. Anybody hear of a plague lately? Make the plague cling to you until it has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. You know, America started off great, and we had, quite frankly, we had a great 200 years. But things have changed, and they've changed radically. Pastor John MacArthur, one of my, my favorite go-to pastors of Grace Community Church, located in Sun Valley. Now, that's a neighborhood of San, the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. Uh, it's a pastor in a church that defied the, the lockdown. Um, uh, this lockdown in California that nearly shut down all of the churches in California. John MacArthur recently described America's moral freefall. And this is what he says. He says, you murder the babies in the womb. If they survive the womb, you try to seduce them into transgender sexual deviation when they're young. If they survive that, you corrupt them with a godless education. If they survive that, you have divorce in the family. And if they grow to be adults, you drown them in a sea of pornography. MacArthur told Fox News, he said, this is a nation so far down the sewer of immorality and wickedness that quite frankly, nothing surprises me anymore. You know, while the United States is still considered uh, the world's leading nation, more and more the United States is leading the world in immorality. Historically, marriage and the family has been the building blocks of society. Historians know this, going all the way back to Rome. However, in the United States, nearly 40% of all marriages end in divorce. You know, it was less than 100 years, ago, 100 years ago, my grandparents' generation, there was only one divorce in every 1,000 Americans. And while divorce got more and more popular after World War II, the divorce rate actually dipped a little. It is said that when America goes to war, people go to church, and the church embraced uh, the family and traditional and biblically-based morals. However, that didn't last long. By the 1980s and the 1990s, the divorce rate in the United States hit as high as 45%. However, it has now tapered down off, and it's actually begun to decrease. However, there's one good reason, and the reason may not surprise you if you think about it. A growing number of people have chosen not to marry at all. More couples are choosing to live together outside of marriage. Nearly 80% of all couples in the United States live together prior to getting married, and many of them decide not to get married at all. Now, the statistics for out-of-wedlock births is another indication of a declining morality here in the United States. The United Nations re recently reported that of the world's 140 million children born, think about that, 140 million children born in 2016, about 15% were born out of wedlock. However, in the United States, that number is closer to 50%. And in some geographic and in some socioeconomic classes, some of our inner cities, it's well over 90% of all children that are born are born out of wedlock. No married father and mother. The United States is leading nearly the entire world in this trend of out of wedlock births. This past year, another statistic, the United States marked its 47th year 
of legal abortions in all the 50 states since Roe v. Wade and over 61 million babies have been destroyed since that landmark court case. That's an average of more than 2,362 abortions every day of the year, 365 days a year, or 98 abortions every single hour, 24-7 in the United States. In, in the book of Revelation, chapter 9, Scripture says that the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues, these are all the plagues of the book of Revelation, still did not repent of the work of their hands. And then it goes on. Nor did they repent, and I want you to listen to this, nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries. Most translation says sorceries. Now the Greek word is actually pharmakia, meaning drugs. Their sorcery um, or their sexual immorality. So we see it's likely this is where we see the United States of America, or at least where we see Americans in the last days. This moral decay that America is experiencing is not new. Just this week in our Sunday services, we spoke of the Greek city of Corinth that the Apostle Paul visited. And we said that Corinth was a center, it was a worldwide commerce center. It was also the center of paganism, idolatry, and sexual immorality. Now, many of the Corinthians became Christians and they repented of their sinful lifestyle. The Apostle Paul, however, warns them. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor coveters, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Now, sadly, the more corrupt we become as a nation, the more the people in our churches, including many of our so-called pastors and ministers and even our Christian seminary professors, support these new, and again, they're not even new, immoral lifestyles. But here's the thing, and this is what I want you to take home with you. The handwriting is on the wall for the ultimate demise of the United States. And it's not only because of our moral decay, but something that Jesus warned about directly when he said, when he was asked about his second coming, and that what he warned about is deception. How is it that so many church-going Americans, church-going Americans, have embraced this downward spiral into immorality, and they're seemingly undaunted uh, what the Word of God says, what I just said a minute ago. And even though if the Word of God has very strong language spe speaking specifically about the activities that they're embracing, they don't seem to care. Now, just before Jesus went to the cross, his disciples came to him and they asked Jesus, they said, what would be the sign of his coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and he told them, and he said, take heed that no man deceives you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they shall deceive many. That's Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 5. You know, we're warned three times in the New Testament, speaking of the end times, three times we're warned of deception. Deception would be prevalent in the earth, especially religious deception. Jesus warned us of the dangers of being deceived. 
You know, it's, it's really fascinating when you think of it. Who would have thought that with all of the information that's available at our, our fingertips, literally more information than we could possibly ever sort through, so much information that we can't possibly digest it all, who would, who would believe that when all of this information is available even on, on small devices like our, our cell phones, our smartphones, and our tablets, that just by pressing a link or typing in a few key words, we could pull up the latest and the greatest information. However, who would believe that while all of this information is available, the observation could still be made that we may possess more information, but we possess less truth. I'll say that again. We may possess more information, but we possess less truth. Today, there are six corporations that own and control 90% of the news media, including TV and radio broadcasting. There's a clear and consistent narrative. It's, it's, it's their narrative that gets out. Every story, every bit of information, every news story that doesn't fit their narrative is suppressed. It's censored. And the word is, it's canceled. This cancel culture has gone so far as now even the President of the United States is banned from not only Twitter but most other social media platforms and the tech giants are barring him from even selling merchandise. Seemingly, the media doesn't care. People don't care. Politicians don't care. In fact, many applaud the cancel culture. They think it's a, it's a great idea. Our educational systems encourage our children to follow the, the same narrative. It's difficult for those that haven't been deceived. If you haven't been deceived, it's still difficult to swim against that cancel culture. It's difficult to swim upstream against a, a permissive and pervasive culture. So here we are, and let me tell you what the role of the United States is in the end times. And this is the, both the United States as a country, as well as Americans, the people that live here. First, because of the deception that is rampant, Americans are our prime candidates in the end times to embrace what's called the great deception. This great deception is actually a man. It's a man called the Antichrist or the beast. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 that in the end times God will send a powerful delusion so that people will believe a lie or the lie. This great deception is associated with the satanic work of the Antichrist. And in verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians it says, He displays the power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. You know, when people reject the truth and embrace the lie, then they, come, they quickly buy into this, this narrative that I was speaking of. They embrace the immorality. They embrace the adultery, the fornication, the drugs, the murders of the unborn. And they've been doing it for so long that they're prime candidates to actually believe anything that's now put out by the narrative. God causes them to believe what is false, a, a strong delusion. This is permitted by God and it's the ultimate weapon actually of the Antichrist. This agent of Satan is the great counterfeit. He, he's a forgery. He even backs up his evil plans with signs and wonders. So that's the first role we see for the United States. Is there a second? Yes, there is. 
Secondly, the U.S. led by whatever political party at the time, whatever president, whatever congressional leader, speaker of the house, or Senate majority, whoever's in charge and pulling the strings, all of them together, will authorize the once powerful U.S. military to join in with all of the nations of the world. This is what's called the Battle of Armageddon, and the United States will be there. The Bible teaches that at the end of the seven-year tribulation, all of the nations of the world will be gathered in an attempt to defeat the nation of Israel and all of the Jews and the city of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. These nations, <laughs> and nations are people, these nations, meaning the people, the leaders of these nations, have all been deceived. Revelation chapter 16, 14 speaks of this deception. It says, For there are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. In verse 16 of that same chapter, it says, which is just two verses later, it says, And they gathered them together in a place called in Hebrew Armageddon. The Lord himself will fight against these kings, these nations, this gathering of nations. In verse 21, uh, verse uh, 2 and 3 of Zechariah chapter 14, speaking of the same event, Zechariah says, I will gather all of the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile and the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. You know, this is just a few verses that speak to the battle of the Lord. When Christ returns, all of the nations of the earth will be judged and the judgment is in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, let me back up a little bit. A little more than seven years prior to this and I'll give you a synopsis of these these end times and where America fits in first of all the first thing that comes is what's described as the the rapture it's described in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 Jesus the bridegroom returns for his church for his bride shortly thereafter the Antichrist is revealed he's revealed by he signs a covenant, or he's there at the signing of a covenant, a peace treaty with Israel. That's for seven years. And then the book of Revelation says that the world is plunged into chaos. The scripture tells us that 144,000 Jewish men, 12,000 from 12 tribes, are sealed. They're sealed by God, and they are the great evangelists of the tribulation. Millions, millions will respond to the gospel and are saved. However, the vast majority of the people that are saved after the Antichrist is revealed will be martyred. After three and a half years, the Antichrist breaks that seven-year covenant with Israel, and the Jews finally understand. It's like the, it's like the shades come off. It's like the, their, their eyes finally see. They understand who the Antichrist truly is, and, and the Antichrist goes after them. What follows is nothing more or less than a wholesale persecution against the Jews all the, and also the believers of Jesus. Um, the Jews, many of the Jews actually embrace the gospel and ultimately all are, are saved. Uh, that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in chapter 11 of the book of Romans. Meanwhile, the rest of the earth tr struggles and staggers through 
the trumpet and the vile judgments that are described in the book of Revelation. It's only after these judgments and much bloodshed and after many are martyred that the battle of Armageddon, which is actually not just one battle, it's a series of battles, takes place. At the end, the Lord returns in the air and the church returns with him. The Lord himself by himself fights against all of the armies of the earth and the victory belongs to the Lord. God defeats all of the nations at the battle of Armageddon. This, my friends, is the place of America in Bible prophecy. The handwriting is on the wall. We see it. It's obvious. It's obvious to anyone that has the eyes that can see. Actually, it's the place of all the nations of the earth. The hope of the world is and always has been to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that it's by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be saved. To be saved is to be, to be rescued, to be made whole, to be protected, and to be part of the redeemed. This is why the Apostle Paul calls it the blessed hope. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.